Hi, I'm Bob Bashansky. Welcome to the latest edition of Politics, a Love Story. The Senate is heating up. Mitch McConnell threatens a dystopian nightmare if Democrats change the filibuster, and the number two Democrat in the Senate says, what else is new? The House bill, H.R. 1, has passed in the House. What is in it? Are Republicans trying to stop it any way they can? What do they fear? Today, my guest is Nancy Kleiber, Vice President of the Mendocino Chapter of the League of Women Voters, and is very well versed in all things political. We will discuss several things, but we will start with H.R. 1. We all need to know just what is in that bill that the Senate will take up on Tuesday, March 23rd. Welcome, Nancy. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Would you like to start us off? Sure. Uh, This is an exciting time for all of us. Uh, the uh, H.R. 1 uh, is, has the title of For the People Act, and it really is a broad, comprehensive uh, act to protect our fundamental right to vote. Um, it is introduced in the Senate as S1, still bearing the For the People Act name, and it passed the House by a vote of 220 to 210. So it was not a bipartisan measure in the House, uh, and it is anticipated that in the Senate there will be pretty much um, solid opposition from uh, the Republican Party, um, which is really non-traditional in that many of the provisions of the For the People Act have been measures that have been popular uh, in Republican states as well as Democratic-controlled states, and for years were considered to be fundamental protections regardless of party because politicians in either party were able to garner more support uh, and enjoyed having more people go to the polls to support them. One of the examples of that are the vote-by-mail provisions. Um, We had, as a result of this recent pandemic, um, voting by mail became more in use throughout the country than it had been previously. There are currently uh, 19 states that have permanent allowance for vote by mail, and many of those are uh, the Republican states, Republican-controlled states that were prominent in the news following this last election, including Arizona and Georgia and some of the other uh, swing states, as they're called. Um, And in these states, vote by mail in Arizona, for example, was not an issue. But now, after the election, uh, there Arizona is one of the uh, 43 states where voter suppression uh, voter suppression measures have been uh, introduced. Uh, there are some 253 bills that have been introduced nationwide in those 43 states. And 
those are aimed at rolling back many of the rights and voting protections that had been in existence uh, up until uh, the 2020 election. Um, so the the For the People Act would, in fact, set a national floor uh, of protections uh, that states could exceed in, in encouraging and protecting the right to vote, but would at least have to meet those minimum conditions. It includes no excuse voting uh, by mail at the uh, uh, voters' option to give that right. It requires uh, allowing voter registration online and uh, same-day voter registration. Uh, it uh, provides for uh, it provides protections against purges. Uh, wholesale purges of voters from the rolls uh, uh, for uh, um, and it uh, uh, it sets up certain um, easier access to the polls requiring 15 days of early voting uh, on in federal elections uh, requiring a requirement for paper ballots to allow tracking and auditing of votes. And um, it uh, provides for drop boxes, that there be drop boxes for federal elections. Um, It has a number of other provisions that are important this year, uh, being um, a after the uh, census that we've just completed, uh, there is going to be redistricting going on, uh, the 10-year cycle to redistrict and reapportion uh, congressional uh, seats. And it, this, uh, for the People Act, would require that, uh, that there be um, nonpartisan commissions, redistricting commissions. Uh, this is similar to what we have here in California. Uh, and there are uh, provisions to protect against uh, excess uh, money, uh, campaign financing by political groups. Uh, it would require uh, campaign groups, uh, PACs, that are spending um, huge amounts of money to disclose their donors. And that would be tr- require those placing online ads uh, to divulge who sponsored the, uh, the ads. So it is a comprehensive, uh, extremely um, broad uh, protection and encouragement to ensure that all eligible voters can uh, can vote and uh, it uh, is uh, really important at this particular time uh, when we consider the onslaught of suppressive legislation that's been introduced nationwide and what do you think the chances are of getting passed in the Senate well, um, 
the chances aren't very good, uh, considering that uh, the indications are that uh, the uh, Republican representatives, uh, Republican senators, uh, the intention appears to be that they will be voting on block um, against the For the People Act. And, of course, the in order to close off debate and bring it bring it to a vote, uh, there is the issue of the filibuster. Well, we would come back to the filibuster later, uh, but one of the things that's important to understand is that the reason Republicans are working so hard to stop this from passing is, I think, summed up in a statement that Lindsey Graham said. If this passes... Republicans will never get elected again to the presidency and maybe other important uh, uh, posts. And the reason is states like Texas, uh, because of their voter suppression, it's really a minority-majority state, and yet uh, the Republican Party rules the roost. And that's the same in many other states, partly because of gerrymandering. But the big thing is... um, We've got to get this passed if these good voting rights uh, parts of this bill are to be enacted, right? That's correct. There is a, uh, obviously, uh, in every state where these uh, voter suppression laws are have been introduced, there are concerted efforts by, for example, the organization that I represent, the League of Women Voters, which has chapters nationwide. There are concerted efforts to um, to challenge these attempts to limit the right to vote. But that those are battles in 43 different states. Um, and over and over and over again. And it's hard for us in California to, to to really comprehend that, I think, because the provisions uh, that are being protected um, in, in this proposed legislation are all rights that we enjoy in California. Uh, and so it's hard to understand uh, what it means to be in a state where time and time again you're forced to marshal your your forces to combat uh, the the onslaught of bills you no sooner no sooner get one defeated than then another one pops up it's even more extreme and irrational um, so it's important that there be some national standard uh, minimum standard uh, and protection. One other problem is even if it does get passed, uh, one of the things that the previous guy and Mitch McConnell did uh, was to stack the deck. Uh, that is, they put in over 200 uh, judges in the federal court system, and of course, put three uh, conservatives on the Supreme Court, so there is a 6 2 edge in the Supreme Court. So when these things uh, start moving through the system, uh, there's going to be a lot of resistance, I think. But um, 
we've got to have good arguments in order for it to be able to withstand um, a judge's ruling. I don't think uh, that there will be um, that many challenges initially. Uh, and that's a two-edged sword because the one of the um, tragedies uh, that's happened to our vote, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is that it gutted the Section 5 requirement that, that changes in voting laws be reviewed prior to implementation, which allowed for a preclearance um, in states that had traditionally had suppressed voting rights and um, allowed that after review by a, a federal court that those stand those um, regulations could not be implemented if they were found to be contrary to the Voting Rights Act. With the Supreme Court overturning that section of the Voting Rights Act in 2013, then the only protection left was an after-the-fact protection, where after-the-fact, if it could be shown that a particular voting regulation had been discriminatory um, and established a pattern of discrimination, then under Section 2, uh, individuals or groups could file a lawsuit to establish that, and eventually those provisions could be overturned, which means that even though these suppressive measures might pass now in order for them to be challenged under the provisions of Section 2 of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, it would take forever for them to get through the courts. Hmm. Well, um, you've listed um, many of the uh, benefits of H.R. 1 going through. Uh, just for a couple of things, I'd like to uh, talk about uh, redistricting. And one of the things that many people aren't aware of is that for federal elections, Congress sets the rules. For state elections, the states set the rules. So sometimes when they redistrict, they only do it once because it's a lot easier. But the the federal government, meaning Congress, can impose these new regulations on the states to have a nonpartisan uh, redistricting commissions for the House, uh, and that is in the Constitution. Now, they could challenge it, but uh, that's pretty strong, and that's where one of the big problems arises, this extreme partisan gerrymandering, and you and I have spoken about that on this show, uh, about how egregious it is. Uh, uh, the... Uh, North Carolina was the example I think we used before. It's pretty evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats, but when the Republicans redistricting redistricted, uh, they had 10 
Republican districts and three Democratic districts. And one of the Republican uh, legislators said, uh, how come they have three? And the guy that was in charge of the redistricting said, well, I couldn't pack all the Democrats into two districts. So (laughs) it is definitely trying to have the thumb on the scale. Uh, Now, that's been updated a little bit, and I think there are now five uh, House members from North Carolina. But that just shows the extremes that were used. And this is a Democratic republic. Democrat. Democratic is the key word here. We are supposed to be open to all people. We are supposed to be able to make it easier to vote, not harder. So uh, changing this, and one of the other interesting points is when the last bill that was similar to this was put forward, it said that the this wouldn't go into effect for a few years. But in this particular bill that passed the House last week, it, it takes effect as far as redistricting immediately, which is a good thing, because if it was left uh, to go longer, there'd be all kinds of difficulties in trying to get it uh, put forward. So what do you think we could do in order to get it passed next week? Well, one of the things that, that we can do is encourage our two senators to take every measure necessary to support and provide for its passage, not only by lobbying their senatorial colleagues, but also by seriously considering making a change in the uh, rules uh, governing uh, cloture or the closing of debate uh, and and. Uh, which brings up, of course, the the dreaded uh, subject of the filibuster. <laughs> right, the F word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so, I, I think everybody should, in fact, uh, be contacting um, both uh, uh, our, uh, our 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 new. Newly installed senator, uh, 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 Mr. Padilla, and also uh, 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 Ms. Feinstein, uh, in encouraging them uh, on both scores to work for the passage of S of S one, the For the People Act. Well, I'm not sure that um, with only 50 votes, and we need 60 for cloture. That's what it takes to shut off debate: is 60 votes to uh, end. The debate, and right now it's tied 50-50 with Kamala Harris um, adding the extra vote as president of the Senate. But uh, I can't see that uh, the Democrats are going to be able to get ten Republicans to go along with this. So there's going to have to be either an end or a modification of the filibuster. And some of those suggestions have been uh, certain bills like. Anything to do with voting rights is not subject to the filibuster. Or uh, you have a talking filibuster that, uh, like, uh, James Stewart and Mr. Smith goes to Washington, where he had to stand there and speak for as long as the time was allotted for that particular bill. And he was there for more than 24 hours. He was exhausted by the end. But now 
all somebody has to do is threaten a filibuster, and they they disregard that bill. So, do you think that there's a chance to modify, and if so, how? Well, it the filibuster, uh, the closure rules were modified um, twice um, in the in the last decade, in 2013, and again in 2017. And the way it was done was not by trying to change Rule 22, which is the cloture rule, because changing it would actually require a two-thirds vote, not a 60 vote, but a two-thirds vote, um, in order to, to either eliminate or uh, to change the, the cloture rule. Um, but they did it by using a procedure uh, called... Uh, uh, setting a a new precedent. Um, basically, what what they did is that the cloture rule, uh, Rule Twenty Two, applies to legislative matters, uh, which is pretty broad. And what they did was they created a new rule, basically a new precedent that said that for nominations, you only needed a majority vote. So they made a distinction between nominations and legislative matters. So they created a a new area and a new rule that went with it, uh, a rule of majority. And under that, both uh, uh, nominations for cabinet positions, for example, and Supreme Court nominations were then subject not to Rule 22, but to this new majority rule um, uh, of a 50, 51 vote uh, for passage. So that would be possible. Uh, and that, uh, to set a new precedent would only require a majority vote. But yet there are two Democratic senators who have said they don't want to see any changes to the filibuster rules, uh, and that is uh, uh, Kristen Cinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia. But it seemed as if Joe uh, was kind of wavering a little bit and might be interested in uh, some kind of a compromise. But what about Kristen? Uh, un- unknown, but that mm. all the all the more reason for all of us to make it known to our senators um, that this is an important thing and that we consider it to be worth fighting for. And I think it was Jim Clyburn who said that filibusters have been called a Jim Crow-era tool to disenfranchise the votes of people of color. Uh, And it was basically used by Democratic senators. And let me just expand on that for a moment. The, The world has turned upside down. In the 1860s, when Lincoln was president, it was the Republicans who were actually... Uh, the good guys, and the Democrats who were not. Uh, 
they represented, the Democrats represented slavery and slave owners, and the Republicans not. In fact, they were called radical Republicans back then. And up until uh, Nixon employed the Southern strategy, uh, Democrats were still uh, the top dogs. But then they switched parties, and now the people who were Democrats in the South are now Republicans in the South. So, uh, and then the Democrats who were the the ones who were looking to expand democracy, and the Republicans who are not. So, uh, Jim Crow era, do you think? Well, many of the the bills that have been introduced, and there are 253 of them, so it's, it's really hard to, to, to categorize them, but many of them have the will have the effect of limiting suppressing the vote particularly in minority uh communities uh i think the one that's hit the media um, uh, that that has been much uh uh noted uh is the um, uh provision in georgia prohibiting early voting on on Sunday, proposed that would eliminate Sunday early voting, um, which, to, which is called the to, polls. to the polls. To the polls. <laughs> right. Um, and there, there are, are, are many others. Uh, the, we saw it in this last election, closing polling places and limiting hours of early voting in uh, minority, uh, predominantly minority uh, neighborhoods. Um, and um, uh, the, uh, so it's important that, uh, that we have the For the People Act because it has provisions in it that addresses those um, issues across the country, making it so that no matter whether you're in California or in Florida, you your the procedures and the protections that you have would be the same. Let me take a moment to reintroduce you. You're listening to Politics, a Love Story. Our guest today is Nancy Kleiber, Vice President of the Mendocino County League of Women Voters chapter, and I'm your host, Bob Bushansky. Yeah, so... Uh, that's pretty important. Uh, but until we get uh, some movement from those two recalcitrant Democratic senators, I don't know that much is going to happen. And as I said, Joe is wavering, but we don't know about Kristen. Uh, and uh, certainly none of the Republicans um, are going to uh, vote for this because this is against everything that's trying to stop. Well, that's the irony, uh, because so many of the provisions, for example, the vote by mail, the even the um, uh, automatic uh, automatic voter registration, uh, uh, are in place in Republican-controlled states. Uh, so yeah, and it's found from the studies that 
almost as many Republicans uh, went vote for mail until the previous guy said that that was uh, a fraud. Uh, but they were using it just as well as the Democrats were. It's not like the Democrats had an advantage using vote by mail. Exactly. It both uh, both political parties supporters uh, enjoyed the benefits uh, of being able to um, uh, campaign uh, across whatever their political jurisdiction was and and get more votes <laughs> because there were more registered voters to be had. So it's an advantage to to any political party. It's also interesting. Uh, that's almost like a contradiction. So uh, uh, NPR, the organization that we are a part of, uh, is often been vilified for being uh, so to the left. And yet, in small, rural, Republican-controlled states, they champion NPR because that's the only station that has the wide reach to be able to reach all their constituents. So uh, here in uh, more liberal areas, we uh, take for granted NPR. Of course it's going to be there. In the smaller rural Republican-controlled areas, they want it just as badly because that's the only way they can get heard all over. So... um, I know there are fears of uh, uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting getting their budget reduced, but there are still a lot of people out there in uh, conservative areas that still need NPR. So uh, we hope that continues. Uh, what about... Um, <laughs> right. I, I, good plug. <laughs> <laughs> and the same is true. Uh, of the For the People Act, uh, it it allows everyone of every political so- persuasion to exercise their right to vote. Well, uh, then there was, uh, I don't know if it was Biggs, uh, the Republican, said, not everybody should vote. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, I, I thought that was a the, 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 the representative, The Republican. representative from Arizona? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Yes. He said it was not the quantity of votes. It was the quality of votes, which just made the the hair on the back of my neck stand up. (laughs) Well, I think that's epistocracy. Only the people who are the most knowledgeable should get to vote. Uh, now, we, uh, in the League of Women Voters, we pride ourselves on educating voters, but we educate them not to vote a certain way or for a certain political party, but to educate them as to what the issues are and what the pros and cons are of any particular, any particular um, bill or proposition. Um, and that is important. Um, and we take that responsibility seriously. But when somebody talks about the quality of a vote in that it was not a quality vote if they voted against that person or what that person supported, that's where you get into the 
Jim Crow type legislation uh, with the literacy tests and um, determining all taxes. The, exactly, exactly. You know, it used many to be of the, that you had to own property to vote. Well, and you had to be a white male, right? Back in the back in the day, because otherwise, yes, you, back in the day, you weren't vested in the system, and you couldn't possibly be responsible enough to make decisions. These arguments now, go back to it. De Tocqueville, and yes, you mentioned before that there are two hundred and forty-three voting restriction bills that are going through various state houses around the country, and. It would seem to me that the lies told by the previous guy and other Republicans about rampant voter fraud was just setting the table for some of these draconian measures enacted to suppress voters. There is little or no in-person voter fraud committed in U.S. elections. So why is most of the legislation targeting in-person voting? Could you have, do you have an answer for that? Uh, well, they break down into uh, into three three general categories, um, and um, one is to limit limit in person voting by limiting the hours and the days for early voting, uh, um, and another series of measures. Uh, introduced in various states uh, requiring stricter ID uh, uh, laws. Um, and then the third category, of course, are limiting vote-by-mail uh, uh, opportunities, um, including uh, requirements that you get your ballot, your mail ballot notarized, um, or that you have to have it postmarked. and uh, a proposal in Arizona that would require that your in order for your mail vote to be counted, the ballot has to be postmarked five days before the polls open, before the polls close. But, uh, otherwise, it won't be counted. Hello. Uh, <laughs> so they 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 run the gamut, um, but there are uh, a lot of them do. With the restricting of the in in person voting. Well, what's interesting during the twenty twenty election, but they were not in person frauds, but committed by, in the most part, Republicans in other ways. There's the guy who uh, used his dead mother's ballot to vote uh, and was caught, and there were others who were. Uh, throwing out ballots, uh, Republicans. So uh, the, the, in, the tightening up of in-person voter frauds is not going to stop fraud if there was much to begin with. It's uh, just a voter suppression uh, position, not really stopping fraud. Um, Absolutely. If, uh, uh, it, is, mind, it, it is a ruse. I would like to just mention... Um, then uh, for the People Act or not, but I know it's been talked about that if the Washington, D.C. residents were to be given statehood, uh, that could change a lot of things. And one of the reasons 
uh, it's been talked about is that D.C. has a bigger pop, bigger population than two states. Uh, Wyoming only has 579,000 people, Vermont 623, and Washington, D.C., 703. So it's big enough to be a state. Why hasn't it been a state? Uh, and that's part of the Jim Crow era when Southern Democrats uh, were in charge of the committees that oversaw Washington, D.C. And it has a very high population of uh, uh, people of color. Yeah, think that'll change that, things? that provision is not part of the For the People Act, the statehood uh, for uh, Washington, D.C., or uh, the right to have uh, uh, voting representatives, uh, congressional representatives, is not in the for the um, in the last session of the House as a separate a separate measure, and I don't know what its um, status is at the moment. Um, but uh, you're right; that would have. Uh, an immense effect in um, shifting uh, uh, the balance in in the House and also in the Senate. Exactly, because they'd be entitled to two senators. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Um... There are so many things uh, surrounding this, and of course, uh, this is what seems to be a pretty fair and honest act, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and yet is meeting uh, total resistance from the Republicans, because they they see that as uh, their Achilles heel. That goes through, and uh, their term of power uh, will come to an end for now, because there are other Republicans who are trying to create a different kind of Republican Party. And as I've espoused on this show before, we need two strong parties competing against one another, bringing up new ideas that will make the country better. And right now, that's not what we have. Uh, so I would like to see a strong Republican Party and have the Democrats then try to come up with even better ideas and have the Republicans come up with good ideas. You know, it was uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt who created the national park system and Richard Nixon who signed into law uh, the Environmental Protection Agency and OSHA. So good things have come from Republicans in the past. And, of course, uh, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. So uh, it would be nice to see a party similar to the old party, not necessarily with Nixon, but with, with Teddy and Abe. Well, that's what uh, d- democracy is all about, is the competition of ideas. And the put those, that your voice, and exercise it through the voting system. That's why this is so important. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, uh, I think that it is not a bad idea that if you're in favor of H.R. 1, that you tell your two senators about 
that so that they have an opportunity uh, to lock uh, fellow uh, senators who may not necessarily be Democrats, uh, that this is something really that will benefit the whole country, not just the Democratic Party. Well, uh, I don't know what uh, the week holds, and I know that it's going to get pretty pretty rough uh, in the Senate uh, for the debates that are going to go on about H.R. 1, because we've already seen some uh, highly racist statements raised by some Republican senators like Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. And uh, I don't know that this is where we should, this country is where we should have all this racism, bias, bias and misogyny. That's another aspect of all this. So, well, um, you know, women got the right to vote 101 years ago. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're learning to exercise it more and more and more. Well, I don't know that women have been reluctant to vote. I think it's uh, some other uh, groups that have not come out in the numbers that they actually represent. Women have uh, asserted themselves pretty well at the polls, don't you think? Absolutely, but it's not reflected as yet in representation in the political bodies. Well, uh, and uh, just to give a plug to the organization that you're associated with, there are a whole bunch of things that the League of Women Voters are doing, and in South Dakota, they announced a plan uh, that uh, targets gerrymandering in South Dakota uh, districts, uh, and they want to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot next year that would establish an independent redistricting commission. Well, that's been done in a number of other states. When California changed, um, before the last census, I believe, uh, there were only six states that did that. And uh, I think it was Arizona and maybe Minnesota that uh, put it on as a ballot initiative. And here's what's interesting. In Arizona, uh, the voters, by a 60% uh, vote, said they want an independent commission. The legislature went to court and saying that they're the people's representatives, not the people, which is kind of ironic. And what the courts eventually said was, how much more of the people can you be if you're one of the people that voted for this? And they knocked down the, uh, uh, the contention by the Arizona legislature. So uh, there are so many ways. It's like if you have a balloon and you have a bubble, and you squeeze that bubble, it comes out in another area. That's what it seems like with all of these bills that are trying to prevent the people exercising their constitutional rights. Exactly. This is, that's why, it, you know, even though the chances may seem slim, it's so important that we have gotten this far to have such a uh, a comprehensive nationwide uh, ceiling floor uh, to protect uh, 
set minimum protections for our voting rights. Um, and it created it, the very fact that that it has been introduced and passed one house of the of the legislature is indicative of public support for it. And now, aside from, we just have to keep yeah. pushing. Aside from Joe Biden being elected and the Democrats taking back both houses, uh, what's interesting about the 2020 election is the fact that 155 million people voted, probably the most ever, and one of the highest uh, percentages of eligible voters in the history of this country. Now, when there was a smaller population and a lot of people voted, uh, they weren't nearly the number uh, of people that voted in 2020. So that's a good thing. The thing that what we have to do now is make sure that everyone continues to vote as they did last year, not necessarily for the same people, but that they get out and vote on a regular basis. This is the problem we have is that people vote in presidential elections and in the midterms, uh, the party in power usually loses seats because their adherents figure, ah, we got it sewed up. We don't have to go out and vote again. Well, there will be, I, I, I'm sad to say, as much as I love political campaigns, <laughs> I'm sad to say that we're, we're already started in the 22, the 22 round. Yes, and uh, what you pointed out before when you were giving the list of benefits from H.R. 1, you pointed out about uh, money, money in elections. Uh, Citizens United in 2010 really skewed things, but even uh, Antonin Scalia said, I'm not for any limits on campaign contributions, but I do believe that people should know who is giving money in campaigns. Uh, and what we haven't been able to do since then is to get a comprehensive bill that allows the public to know what companies, what individuals, what groups are contributing to uh, whomever is running for office. Um, and I think that's an important part of all this. Exactly. The, uh, the For the People Act would do one other thing uh, on the campaign financing uh Angle, and that is it would allow for small donor financing of congressional elections. As it is now, people can contribute uh, to uh, the presidential uh, campaign funds um, uh, for matching funds, but this would set up uh, for congressional elections, set up a fund where small donors of if you donate from any from one dollar to two hundred dollars, that that donation would be matched times six. So it would hmm. be Matt, It would be a sixfold uh, donation, and the money for the match would come from a fund um, uh, set up and um, by from surcharges to corporate wrongdoers when they are charged, when corporations are charged civil or criminal penalties, an amount of that would go into this fund for small donor matches. Regardless of who, which party you're supporting, your small donation would be matched. 
Yeah, the problem right now is uh, people who are uh, good, hardworking, uh, are intelligent, and would like to run for office just don't have any funds to do it. In fact, it looks like uh, Congress is the place to get rich, uh, or if you are rich, to get elected. Rick Scott is, I think, the wealthiest member of the Senate uh, because of the uh, health care organization he ran before he uh, became governor. He's worth over a billion dollars. So, you know, he's there. Now, I don't know about some of the others, but there are lots of people with hundreds of millions of dollars of wealth. I don't know of any member of Congress that ever filed for bankruptcy. I mean, there must be some, but it's a very rare occurrence. And if you take a look at the population overall, uh, there's a certain percentage that file for bankruptcy. But if you're a member of Congress, it's not likely you will. And of course, we've seen the inside trading when you get, you're on a committee and you find out a piece of information and then you go and buy or sell a company's stock because of that information you got, that's insider trading. So uh, we got to have regular, everyday people to be elected that have the intelligence to weigh things and to vote honestly. Uh, that's another thing that I hope this act can change with some of these things that you just mentioned. So, um, let's see, what are the, I'm looking over some of the things. Um, yeah, you pointed out that uh, going through the courts would take a long time if this bill got passed to be able to change stuff, but like in the $1.9 trillion bill that passed a couple of weeks ago, uh, there are now 21 attorneys general in various states that are going to court and suing the Biden administration because one of the things that's in that bill is that you can't use this money you're getting from the federal government to lower taxes. Uh, You have to use it for the people. So uh, they are attacking not the whole bill, but just the Portion of it, so it's also possible that uh, there will be either states or individual uh, members of Congress who will promote bills to do away with parts of uh, for the people bill. Uh, I don't think that can be stopped, but uh, that would be a problem in court if we have all of these uh, conservative judges that are going to be handling the cases well i'm not i'm not so pessimistic um it there were a number of challenges to in the last election um in state courts and in the federal courts and many of the uh, uh the well uh, Many of the courts were predominantly Republican appointees, many of the judges, and they made universally the same decisions as the more liberal-leaning courts in throwing out the challenges to uh, to the uh, election results in 2020, uh, where they there was no evidence of fraud. They found no evidence of fraud, and it didn't matter whether they were Trump appointees or or had been appointed by a Democratic president. So 
I think where there are constitutional issues that that the courts are not necessarily going to be leaning to uh, allow um, challenges to basic constitutional rights. Well, uh, I, I say that uh, this remains to be seen because the reason those 60 or so suits that uh, the previous guy brought, uh, they made allegations, but they couldn't back it up with any proof. Now, if some of these challenges that might occur if uh, For the People Act passes, is they have to show proof. And if they can, and, you know, one person was hurt or two people were hurt by whatever uh, the part of the bill was, well, then maybe they could advance it. But it, a judge has to weigh evidence. And the problem with those 60 suits, there was no evidence. So, of course, the judges threw them out. If there's no evidence to weigh, they don't have to think very hard about that. Well, um, we're coming near the end, and I want to just say uh, thank you to Nancy Kleiber of the League of Women Voters, Vice President of the Mendocino Chapter, uh, who, as I said in the beginning, is very well-versed in all things political, and especially about H.R. 1, which I'm sure she's going to be rooting for uh, next week when it gets to the floor of the Senate. So, um, thank you very much, Nancy. Um, and thank and, you, Bob, for the opportunity. Uh, well, you're a really a good guest because you know a lot of stuff, and uh, that's what we need is knowledgeable people to be talking about what they know. Uh, so uh, thank you again, and uh, maybe we can have another discussion uh, when things change, whether H.R. 1 gets passed or not, or whether... Uh, the Senate changes the filibuster. You know, there might be other good stuff that we could talk about. So I want to thank you, and uh, see you the next time. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Okay, so um, we are near the end of the show, and I want to uh, just uh, have a shout-out for the wondrous world of music, which follows this with Gordon Black. He is... Uh, a hero for people uh, who like good music, especially classical music, because he has great shows. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll see you the next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.